you are awesome. Lord, you are mighty. You are magnificent. You are wonderful. You are great. You are protector. You are provider. You are everything. For you have declared unto us, you have revealed to us through your word that you are the great I am. Father, you have no equal. There is no one like you. You are above all. And your word declares that from you are, are all things are from you and through you and to you. By the word of your mouth, all things that were made in heaven and on earth was made by you, dear God. And we just want to say thank you for who you are. Thank you for your magnificence. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for thy son, Jesus the Christ. And for your Holy Spirit that you have given unto us. That we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I ask that you would fill us anew. That you would recharge and re-energize us. As we have come through another week, dear God, and we have made it to your throne of grace one more time. And Father, as we come, we just cast our cares upon you. We stretch out our hands to you in praise. We give glory and honor to you. And we honor you, Lord. Father, as we have gathered again one more time to worship you, I ask that you would be with us this day. That the power of your Holy Spirit would be experienced. And the fact that many will be delivered and set free from their sin. That strongholds would be broken and yokes would fall. Father, I ask that by the power of your preached word that you would renew mine. Father, as you wage warfare right now against the principalities, spirits of evil and wickedness in, in this world, Father, we know you are victorious when your word is preached and when your praises are declared. So right now, dear God, I ask that you would allow us to see and to hear your word with incredible clarity and insight. Please provide wisdom by your Holy Spirit. Father, as we come before you this day, may we come broken. May we take off all, all of our masks and all those things that we want others to see, but we know we're really not. Father, help us to realize that we have full and total and complete acceptance in you through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. And Father, for the one who is here who do not know you, ask that you would penetrate hard hearts, that many would come running asking what must they do to be saved. Father, I ask that you would have mercy upon me, for I am weak and I am foolish, undeserving to be here right now, but by your sovereign will, Give me Holy Spirit unction and power to preach your word. Please have me behind thy cross. In the precious and matchless and mighty name of Jesus the Christ we do pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
what a pleasure, what a privilege to be with you once again. Welcome to all of our guests to the church gathered at Forest Baptist. It is incredible whenever we are able to gather together because when we gather together, this is a declaration to the, to the spirits, to Satan and his minions that God is able to overcome. When we're able to gather together as a community of believers, this is Jesus speaking through us that saying our sin can't, can't keep us apart, but it's, it's the blood of Jesus that brings us together. So it's through the blood of Christ that we come and we lift up his holy name on today. As we are going through our weeks and months and find ourselves already at the end of January, a number of things are taking place in the life of Forest Baptist Church. Uh, excited that our Women's Institute will be beginning this Friday. If you haven't signed up already, please do. It's a wonderful time of, of teaching and fellowship and worship for our Women's Institute, I believe. This year's study, you will be going through the book of Philippians. Also, we uh, are excited that, that, that in the month of February, we will be beginning our community groups once again. We have some meetings after worship service today to uh, talk about lo some logistics. I'm excited that we have, we have new locations, we have new facilitators, new hosts, and uh, by God's grace, we will have a community group from Sunday to Thursday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So if you had an excuse before, you ain't got one now to be in community. So I'm grateful to the Lord how he expands that ministry. I want to continue and encourage you to, to come to Sunday school. Uh, being out there in the world and getting beat up like we do, it's always good to sit up under the instruction from the Word of God, and, and when you, we think about it at like this, you, you really wouldn't eat just one time a week. Whenever we have the opportunity to gather, to sit up under the teaching of God's Word, I just want to encourage you to, to come and be a part of that. We have some wonderful teachers, some wonderful classes uh, launching. In the next session, we have our Life on Life discipleship class that is, that is uh, taking place so this is, this is in the same uh, sense of the Three Circles Evangelism course. This is just the next step. So what do you do after you've shared the, the gospel and somebody says yes to Jesus? What do you do? Well, you do life with them. You don't just uh, invite someone to Jesus and expect everything going to be okay. I, I don't know about your walk, but when I came to Jesus, there still were some things I had to get right. Some folks had to teach me how to, how to worship rightly and, 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 and what was pleasing unto the Lord. It didn't, just, it didn't just automatically come. Some things fell off, but, but I needed to walk with people. So uh, we're going to learn how to do life on life with people in this discipleship class coming next session. And beloved, in, in, in troubling times, you must be grounded in order to stand. So I encourage you as we continue through our journey through the gospel of Matthew that you won't take this study for granted, but that you will take this opportunity to go deep into the word. Because the deeper you go, the stronger the roots. And when the, the waves come and when the winds blow and when the chaos and confusion of life breaks out, you're still able to stand in spite of because you are firmly grounded in the word of God. That's my encouragement to you this week. So as we continue, 
Last week, we began to walk through the beginning section of the Sermon on the Mount entitled the Beatitudes. And here in the entire Sermon on the Mount, we have the world's greatest sermon from the world's greatest preacher, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he is instructing his disciples in Christianity 101. He's helping them to understand just what it means to be a a kingdom citizen. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to, to have left the kingdom of darkness and to be living now in the kingdom of light? He's explaining to us. And as we look at the Beatitudes, one, one thing we mentioned last week I want us to understand as we walk through it, the Beatitudes is not a list of to-dos. You don't do these things in order to be a Christian. You be these things because you are a Christian. What Jesus wants you to understand is the, the poor in spirit, those who, are, those who mourn the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who, who are merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who, who, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is, it is those people that are living out of who they are. It is because they are followers of Jesus Christ, they are consumed with just being a follower of Christ. This is what he wants us to understand. So it's not a list of to-dos in order to receive acceptance from God, but a way of being because you have been accepted by God through the blood of Christ. The Beatitudes are an invitation to become, to flourish, to, to live out this calling of what it means to be a Christian, to, to continue to experience the blessings of being Christian. Remember we said that last week, we want uh, being a Christian to be less of a noun, but to to be more of an adjective and a verb, to, to be Christian. So when people look at us, uh, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we dress, the way we interact, well, we, well, people should look at our lives and say, that is a Christian. We want to be Christians. So Jesus is inviting you and I, those who are followers of Christ, to become who he's called us to be. But not only that, the Beatitudes are an invitation to belong. Come and be a part of what God is doing in the life of his, lives of his people. You, you may be outside the camp, but, but God has made a way that you can come inside the camp through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He became the scapegoat for you, and your sins were cast away from him. You are able to come freely. You can come. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be shamed. You don't have to have to walk around with your head down. You don't have to uh, be, be, be staggered by your guilt. He says, come. This is an invitation. The first beatitude we looked at last week was, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking about both physically and spiritually. Remember, he's talking to a people who are on the margins of life, the sick, the destitute, they have been cast out. No one really wants to deal with these folks. So they really don't have well, a uh, good paying job. So, so they're physically poor, but because they're physically poor, they're, in a sense, they make them the prime candidates to be spiritually poor. They know they are without. They, they know that they can't do it by themselves. And we said last week to be poor in spirit is to recognize your spiritual poverty your spiritual bankruptcy before God. 
We don't show up before God acting as if we have everything together. We don't show up before God acting like we got it all right or, or that our cup is full. We show up before God recognizing that apart from him, we have no hope. And we need him in our lives. So being Christian means being needy. And beloved, the truth is, in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be empty before you can be filled. You got to give up yourself. You got you to pour yourself out so the Holy Spirit may be poured into you. And then yours is the kingdom of heaven. And when we look at the Beatitudes, look at them as almost steps. They're, they're a progression as you go because you can't be anything else in the kingdom of heaven until you begin by being poor in spirit. You enter in by becoming dependent. Now you're able to grow and, the, and, and, and as we go through the next few weeks, we will look at this progression of growth. Followers of Jesus receive the riches of heaven. And we looked at 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter and the ninth verse that said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus went to the cross and he laid down his life so that we can become king's kids. We can receive the inheritance, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All, all the riches of heaven are, are waiting for us. And beloved, the riches of heaven are with us right now, allowing us to even come and worship. He is saying Jesus must become your treasure. No one can be a Christian without being poor in spirit. Now turn with me now to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew, the fifth chapter, either on your, in your Bibles or on your device. And this morning we look at just one verse. Matthew, the fifth chapter and the fourth verse as we continue our study in the Beatitudes. And if you, if you will, please stand in honor of reading of God's word. Matthew, the fifth chapter and the fourth verse. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. May the Lord have blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The tag on this morning's text is the blessings of being Christian. Being Christian means being broken. Being Christian means being broken. You know, being from Michigan, I, I'm no stranger to this cold weather. Some folks are like, I moved to Kentucky to get away from the cold weather. Well, I did too, partially. And I remember as a child, we would go outside and play for hours. We would, we would put on our, our moon boots. Sometimes if you had no moon boots, what you do, you get that plastic bag and you wrap it around your, your feet, then you put your feet in your, y'all know, y'all don't act like y'all always had some nice boots, nah. You put that garbage bag around your feet, you tie it up some tape and you go outside. You put on some, some, some extra jeans and pants and you, know, you, come, you come walking out, you about to play, you can't even move your limbs. Yeah. Trying to be warm. But I remember as a child, we would play outside for hours. 
And it, it never failed, no matter how thorough we thought we were. When we came back inside, everything was froze. Our nose was froze. Our eyebrows was froze. The snot from our nose was froze. Uh, the, your fingers was froze. Your toes, everything was froze. And it was so numb. You couldn't feel anything. It wasn't sensitive to any touch at all. You just couldn't. Couldn't feel anything, which is why they would say you, you should never warm up your, your, your hands or, or feet with, with hot water, right? They say use warm water. Because if you use hot water because you was already numb, you would end up causing more damage to your body. Though we had all that fun for a moment, when we got in the house, we felt so much pain. And beloved, understand. Sin has the same numbing effect on your lives. You can go out and play in sin all day, for hours, years, months. Playing in sin, yucking it up, having a wonderful time, thinking it, thinking it ain't going to harm you, ain't going to hurt you because you thought you prepared. You, you was the one that it ain't going to happen to me. It happened to everybody else you know, but, but, but for whatever reason, you think it, won't, it, it can't happen to you that you can't get caught up in sin. And then you find yourself one day wanting to come on home. And, and when you come on home, you're in so much pain. You got so much baggage. And, and, and when you come into the house, it's, it, you feel the pain because your fingers are so numb. You show up back at the church and you expect things just to be okay, but you suffer from a numb soul. Your conscience has been seared and you think just showing up is going to change you. But you've been outside playing in sin for too long. You've been desensitized to the touch of Jesus. And for those momentary pleasures that you have received, you get in return a life filled with pain. And you think that if you just pour some hot water on you, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll heat up and things will be okay. But, beloved, I'm here to say you can't just pour hot water on your soul. You will do more damage than good. See, but here's the thing. That's not even the worst part. The worst part is, is that we live in a world that doesn't want to face the reality of the pain and the consequences that sin brings. We don't even want to see it. We know it's out there, but we don't even want to pay attention to it. We, we rather wear a mask than mourn. We don't feel like feeling bad about anything. We don't like feeling bad, do we? We, 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 we like good self-esteem. We, we like everything going right in our lives because we have this, uh, this idol of comfort. We, we are idolaters, and we just want a nice, comfortable, cushy life as a Christian. We don't want anything to go wrong, and, and, and so we try to distract ourselves from the pain. We avoid pain at all costs. We, we distract ourselves with our insatiable appetites to be entertained. We just want to be entertained. This is one of the reasons that, that binging is so, so it, it feels so good. You just, 24 hours of entertainment? Yeah, now y'all remember how it used to be. What time the TV, the, the, the TV stations used to stop broadcasting at 11. They're like, you're supposed to be in the bed. But you can have 24 hours of entertainment to take you away from the pain.
Beloved, our inability to sit in silence should show us something about ourselves. We always got to have a gadget in front of us, a paper. We, we have to have some distraction because we really don't want to face the pain. We distract ourselves. We, we medicate ourselves. You got a paper cut taking the aspirin. Like, what? For real? Like, we don't want any pain. And one of the reasons that antibiotics aren't as effective is because people have overtaken antibiotics. So now our immune systems aren't strong enough to really deal with what's out there. there there's these issues. We, so we medicate uh, legally. We medicate illegally. Addictions. Or we just flat out ignore the pain. We just ignore it. You know, you know how we do. You know you've been sick. You know you haven't been feeling good. But, but you refuse to go to the doctor. Just because you don't want them to tell you the truth of what's going on. Beloved, when it comes to sin, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is deadly and can lead to destruction. In Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, the preacher, the, the one speaking, he, he says, for everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Beloved, that there is a flow, an ebb and flow to life, but we always want to be on 10. We always want to be happy. We want to be joking. We always want to be laughing. Have you ever met somebody just laughing all the time? Oh, my goodness. Like, why are you laughing? That ain't even funny. Everything ain't funny. Everything ain't happy. And that is the reality of the Christian life. There's a certain solemnity to life, a certain seriousness. There's a certain gravity, a, a gravitas of life. Everything ain't always light and funny. But citizens of the kingdom understand this. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven recognize sin's deadly consequences. Citizens uh, don't ignore sin, we mourn sin. Citizens are grieved by sin, hurt by sin, and saddened by sin. And today we look at another, one of the Beatitudes. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that to be Christian, you must be broken. To be Christian, you must be broken. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Remember what Jesus is teaching. He, he's teaching a, a countercultural way of life. So in a way, the, the text can be translated, that the, the word here, uh, makarios, uh, it, can, it can be translated as blessed or fortunate or happy. Uh, remember, we talked about the depth of that word. It's more like flourishing, but 
but in a sense, you have Jesus saying, happy are those who mourn. What sense does that make in our world? Happy? How can you be happy and mournful at the same time? When we think about mourning, we, we think of that grief and that sorrow caused by profound loss, don't we? A loss of a loved one. Think about the mourning of Abraham over Sarah in Genesis. Think about the mourning of Joseph and his brothers over Israel or Jacob. This, this, this sorrowful mourning because of loss. And that sorrow is real. That bereavement is real. And just on a side note, as you walk through life, don't let this world tell you how to grieve. Don't let this world teach you how to mourn. This world just wants you to keep on going. This world just wants you to be like, oh, whatever, and I'm going to keep on going. But, but the Lord, he has given us a heart that needs to mourn and grieve in order that we may grow closer to him. Beloved, you can mourn over financial or material loss. Some of us have lost some very precious things. Think about people who, who go through a natural disaster. All of their possessions are gone. They go through a period of mourning because of loss. The, the fallenness of this world should cause you, it should cause myself, it should cause all of us to cry sometimes. The brokenness of this world should cause us to cry sometimes. If we don't think so, Jesus himself was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But yet this, this mourning, this sorrow, this, this grief that Jesus is speaking of here in the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's that and then some. It's even more. For, for Jesus, he's not so much speaking of a sorrow of bereavement, but a sorrow of repentance. You know, Jesus is talking about a a Psalm 32 type sorrow, where the psalmist says, For when I kept silent, my, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day, all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. A, a deep grief over sin that affects you physically. This is a Psalm 51 type sorrow. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's talking about a 2 Corinthians 7 type sorrow. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Jesus is talking about a sorrow, a, 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 a mourning that leads you to a brokenness, a place where you say sin ain't good no matter how it manifests itself. Sin is, is, is terrible. Sin is wicked. Sin, it, it, it is something that I hate. Beloved, I'm going to tell you all right now, it ain't too many things that I hate. I hate cancer. I hate cancer with everything fiber of my bones. 
because of what it does to people's bodies and how it just progresses. I hate it. As Christians, we need to have that same hate and brokenness over our sin. Well, I hate it. Don't bring that sin in my house. Don't bring that sin in my car. Don't, don't bring that sin in my neighborhood. We should have a, 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 a deep hatred for sin. Jesus wants us to have a mourning that leads us to a deep brokenness over sin. Mourning means to be broken physically, emotionally, and spiritually grieved over sin and its horrible effects. Beloved, as once we have acknowledged our spiritual poverty, the proper response is to mourn. The one who truly mourns over their sinful state is the one who will genuinely repent. See, many people come to Christ and they come to the gospel thinking that Jesus is just a button, a wristband, or something I put in my pocket that helps me through the rest of my life. And, and we come to Jesus thinking that he's a genie in a bottle and that everything that I need, he's going to supply, and I'm not going to have hard days. Beloved, that is a lie from the pit of hell because what the text of Scripture teaches us is in order to really enjoy, appreciate the blessings we have in Christ Jesus, we have to understand the depth of our own depravity and what sin and its consequences leads to. Sin is so pervasive, it has touched your, your body, your mind, your decision. You think you're making wise decisions because the world say you're wise. But it's sin all up in your decisions when they're not from Christ. To be Christian is to be broken over sin. Do you even care about sin? To be Christian means that I'm broken over their sin. Their sin. When I say their, the sin that is around me, the sin that is in the world. Beloved, our hearts should break when we see sin. We should never just get used to sin. Sin should, should cause a, a violent reaction by our bodies. When I think about how we should re respond to sin, I think, I think about like those, those plays on the football field. Those plays where, where a guy is being tackled, and then he's hit hard, and then all of a sudden, his body is laying this way, but his leg is laying that way. And you see those hits, and what do you do? You, you cringe. I, we were just watching the, the Dallas Cowboys game. The other day, and that receiver, he caught the pass, and the guy tackled him and brought him down. And then, and then I, I seen it, they, they, it. He was laying this way, but his whole foot was laying that way. It just cringed. You, you, you see it, then your body's like, oh, and it hurts. You, your leg not broke, but it, but it hurts. When I think about Kevin Ware and, and the championship run for the, for the Cardinals, he, he sat the side and came down. And his bone came out of his leg. Folks wasn't around smiling like, oh, he'll be okay. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? He was competing hard. No, they was like, oh, his teammates were throwing up. 
beloved, when one of our members fall into sin, it should cause my stomach to be so upset I want to throw up. When I see where sin will take you in your life, when I see the brokenness that it brings, when I see how now you're estranged from your family, uh, you're all by yourself, you're not getting better, and you look worse, and when sin is on somebody's back in the body, it should make us want to throw up. We should not walk in here talking about, oh, they'll be all right. What if they love it? If they like it, I love it. We don't never want to approach sin as something like passive, that it's okay, like it's a cute little puppy. We should have a reaction to jerk back from sin. We should love Jesus so much that we have a reaction when we see sin. When we see pride on display. When we see cruelty on display, when we see selfishness on display, when we see self-centeredness on display, we can't be okay with it no matter who it's coming from. We shouldn't be looking at the TV during the government shutdown saying, well, they need to do what they need to do in order to get this this border crisis fixed. No, you don't don't say it's okay because because government is involved all of a sudden and makes it right. When we see... Pride and arrogance on display, we say, ah. Or when we see Democrats get their way, then all of a sudden they're trying to clown somebody. Oh, he caved in. He a wimp. He a punk. We shouldn't be okay with sin. The psalmist tells us in 119, 136, he says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Have you ever cried because somebody you love has fallen into sin? This is the grief we see Jesus exhibiting when he goes to the the tomb of Lazarus. There's there's a, a, a double reaction. There is the reality that in this humanity... His friend, his boy is dead. So in John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest scripture in the Bible, and, and if you're going to quote the shortest scripture in the Bible, you need to at least know the address. Jesus wept, and he weeps because his friend has died, even though he knew he had died and he was to fulfill righteousness. But yet Jesus is weeping because of the effects of sin. Sin has brought death into this world. This is the type of reaction that Jesus gives when, when, when he's looking over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew that I was here to bring you peace, if you only knew that you could lay down your sin and, and pick up life, this is, how, this is how we need to be as Christians. We don't, we don't look out over the world and say, see, that's what they get. We don't look out over someone's situation. Well, I told them they shouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, you're right, you told them, but are you broken? To be Christian is to be broken over sin. Their sin, but most of all, your sin. Every Christian, now I'm just talking to Christian. Every Christian, someone who professes Jesus as Savior, 
you must have what I call a morning moment. A morning moment. A moment when you see sin in your life for what it is. Reprehensible betrayal to God. Rebellion against his holy standards. And that you are displeasing him with your mouth, with your looks, with all that is in you. You are displeasing unto God, and you recognize that there is no righteousness in you. And every bit of righteousness that you thought you had was as if as, as, as filthy rags, and that you cannot step to God and act like you got it together. And you, get, you must come to the moment where you say, I, I am nothing. As Christians, we must come to the moment where we shout out, where we cry out like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. In Romans, the seventh chapter, Paul says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. But he comes to verse 24. He says, I've tried in my way. He says, I've tried to clean myself up. i tried to, be, uh, to do the right things. I, I've tried all that I can do. Then he says, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 25, just as, as soon as he mourns, he turns around, looks back at the cross, and he says, oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you had a mourning moment in your life? Beloved, if you never had a moment where you were just broken over your sin, dare I say, you don't understand grace. And Jesus really ain't beloved. He's just somebody that you intellectually know, but you don't know him in your heart. To rightly mourn sin, I have to be broken over my sin. To rightly mourn sin, here's another one. I can't blame others for my sin. If I'm going to mourn over my sin, then I got to take responsibility for my sin. You know how we do. Oh, they made me. I was at work, and my boss came in. Oh, she was talking all this stuff. She made me cuss her out. She made you? I was driving down the street, and all these fools was getting in my way, and they made me cut them off. They made you? You know, they was talking slick to me, so I had to snap back. They made you? You know how we do. We like to make our issue somebody else's issue. And though they may have done something to you, there's nowhere in the Bible that says somebody else can make you sin. But someone else can, can, can lead you into temptation. There's someone else who can, who can fan the fires of, of your lust and your own passions. That, uh, you, 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 you coming around, folks, that they just get on your nerves and you can't be around them. Maybe you can't be around them because you really just like them. And, and all your, 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 your passions and, 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 and your flesh gets upset and you just go off. He really wasn't loving me like I needed to be loved. Or she wasn't loving me, taking care of me, so I stepped out on her. She made me. She made you? He made you? Beloved, we will never mourn, on the sin, mourn over sin until we take responsibility for our sin. Sin will take you to some places that you never thought you would be. 
My question to you this morning, beloved, as we look at Jesus' words, he tells us what it looks like to be a Christian, but do you grieve sin? Do you actually grieve over your sin? Like, do you actually repent for your sin? Do you actually pause and say, you know what? Lord, forgive me for offending you and for offending others. We have a prayer that I pray with my with my children that night, and I say, Lord, please forgive us for how we have sinned against you, and forgive us for how we have sinned against one another. Has there actually been a moment where you said sorry for what you've done? See, the big deal is God wants you to be broken over sin so that he can build you back up. He wants to build you back up in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and not the idols that we have set up in our own hearts. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, in the ninth verse. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, uh, uh, these folks, and they come, they have built idols in their hearts, and they have chosen to worship these idols over God. They've chosen to do life their own way. I'm going to do what I want to do, and not what God says. That's what he's saying. But he's saying there's a point in, in your life that if you are genuinely a child of God, if you belong to Jesus, there's going to be a point where the text says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that I'm breaking down idolaters so I can build them back up in my image. He, he is saying I'm breaking you down so you can have a morning moment where you can say, Lord, not I, but you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decrease that you might increase. That's why we need to be broken. We can't keep acting like everything okay. And then Jesus, he, he finishes in a strange way because he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. How, how can I be comforted in my mourning? Jesus, don't you know what I've been through? Jesus, don't you know my baggage? Don't you know my issues? How can I ever be comforted in my issues? Jesus is reminding us here that we don't receive comfort from ourselves, but the comfort we receive is the comfort from God himself. In 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 3, the text of Scripture says, now listen, how many times you hear comfort? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we, abund we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. 
which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. We're going through some stuff, but God says, I'm going to show up and give you comfort. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired, despaired of life itself. Have you ever been brought so low by your brokenness that you says, I'm just going to give up? I might as well just take myself out. Nobody cares about me. Nobody's thinking about me. I'm so low. I just, I want to give up on life. But what does Paul say? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But watch what God is doing in their lives. This is Paul. This is Paul. The one who who wrote 13 epistles. The one who had a, a... a dramatic change in life on the road to Damascus. The one who, who was tight with God. The one who was caught up to the third heaven. This, this is him. And he says, even I get to the end of my rope sometime. But he understands why. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's saying, God, is, he, sometimes he takes, takes me to the end of my rope so I could quit depending on myself. So I could quit thinking that I got it all together. And, and I like how he, he puts on the end, but on God who raises the dead. Don't you know about the resurrection power of Jesus? He's saying, you may be at the end of your rope, but I know somebody who was at the end of their rope too. And he went to the tomb on a Friday night. But, beloved, on the third day, he got up. He's reminding, he's reminding the saints here that we got the same he got up power residing within us when we come to the end of our rope, when we come to the end of ourself, when we feel the burden of brokenness, we just look to Jesus and remember that he has the he got up resurrection power living within his people. Verse 10, he says, he delivered us from such a deadly pearl, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And the text say, won't he do it? That's what the text is saying, won't he do it? If he did it for me, won't he do it for you? That's the bishop translation. You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings, the blessings, the blessings of being Christian. The, for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. He, what Paul shows us is an illustration of we don't receive comfort from our circumstances. We are receiving comfort from God himself. And if God is the one that's comforting you. We will never go without. We will never lack. He sees every situation, every detail, and he says, I will be with you in the midst. How do we receive this comfort? Our comfort comes through confession. Our comfort comes through confession. The text tells us in 1 John 1, 9, 
that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. He, that's wholeness. When we are broken, how, how do we become whole? We, you, you confess your sins. But you are also, you are also healed, James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another. Why? That you may be healed for the prayers of the righteous avails much. When you confess your sin, when you admit your sin, when you agree with God about how he feels about your sin, and you confess to him, and you confess to other people, the comfort you receive in return is healing and wholeness. Why? Because you ain't got to hide no more. Stop walking in here every week wondering if somebody see you, if they know about your sin. You got, you got an extra, I'll be, I'll be picking on the ladies. I was about to say, you got extra mascara on your neck because you got them hickeys. I was about to say that. But <laughs> I need to pick on these men some more. You walk in here like you got it all together. You, uh, you, you done stayed out all night, and you just, you just came straight to church from where you was. And you're wondering if people, they, well, I ain't going to come this way to church because I normally come this way, and I come in this driveway, so I'm going to come in this driveway. And when you confess your sins, you ain't got to worry about hiding no more. You ain't got to worry about what they going to think or what they going to say because you're free. Who the Son has set free is free. And stop running back into bondage in your sin. He has freed us up and praise God that we ain't a perfect people, but we are purchased people. And, and when I fall in my sin, I just take a trip back to the blood of Jesus that has already washed me and already cleaned me. But there's another aspect to comfort and confession. And that's when you know, no matter what you've done, that Jesus will welcome you back. Have you ever just had a, a bad week? A, a, a bad month? And you walk in a room, and there's that one, I mean, you, you trying to act like everything all right. You, you trying to hold it together. You, you, you know, you've been straight. You... You, know, you you making sure you got it together, but you walk in the room and you see that one person that you know love you more than you can even love yourself. That one person that you know you can confide in anything. And, and all of a sudden, the Lord allows you to lock eyes with them and they lock eyes with you. And, and, and you standing there and then all of a sudden, your, your lips start, start quivering. You're like, mm, mm. And then your eyes start getting misty and then your body starts shaking, and you ain't even got to say nothing. And before you even say anything, they're walking over to me, oh, baby, give me a hug. Oh, baby, give me a hug. And that moment where you just, <laughs> But they got you. They got you. And you're able just to have a good cry. Just have a good cry. Jesus is saying that you could bring any problem to his throne of grace. He said, ain't no problem too big, ain't no issue too wide. I got grace for that too. You, you worried about what happened yesterday, I got grace for that. You worried about your background, I got grace for that. He says, just come to me. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I got your back, and I just want to embrace you. And we can break down before God so that he can do what? Build us back up. Build us back up. We receive comfort through confession. But, beloved, we receive comfort through the cross. Just to look at the cross. Oh, that wondrous cross. When we look at the cross, that, that blood-stained cross, that old rugged cross. When we think about the cross, all, every, every time Romans 8 and 1 just flies, flies past my mind. When I look at the cross, the cross says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The cross is a constant reminder that hey, you ain't got to be shamed. You ain't got to be guilty. You ain't got to feel like don't nobody want you. Because of the cross, there is no more sin. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. And beloved, best of all, there is no more separation. Because of what Jesus accomplished on Calvary's cross. That's your comfort. You ain't got to fix it. It's already done. The victory is already yours. Then lastly, we, our comfort comes through Christ himself. When we think about Jesus, oh, the name of Jesus. There's power in that name, isn't it? The name of Jesus. When we think about Jesus and what he has already accomplished, there's comfort just in the name Jesus. Beloved, I dare you. Next time you find yourself in a bind, you don't know what to do. You going crazy. You can't think straight. Just call out Jesus. Like, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I'm just going to say Jesus, Jesus. And his name brings comfort. We ain't even did nothing yet. He ain't even touched you. He ain't even worked it out. You just calling his name Jesus. He's able to give you comfort just when you call out his name. But, beloved, we receive comfort for Christ because of the hope we have in heaven, because of where he is right now. We have hope in Christ because he did get up and because he did ascend and because he is standing right now on the right hand of the Father. We have hope because Jesus is risen. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. And because Jesus rose, I know that he's going to care for me. I know that he's going to keep me. I know that he's going to love on me. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the text of Scripture reminds me he not only knows what I'm going through, but he's coming back to get me. I don't have to stay in this place for the rest of my life, that he is coming back for his people. Jesus is providing a, a new exodus. He is the, the new and greater Moses. And Jesus is coming back again. And he's coming back to take his, his people, his children, his saints, his beloved. He's coming to take us to his promised land where the streets of gold, the land of no more. He says in Revelation, he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to build you up and he's going to give you a new body. You ain't got to worry about that old body. Your knee may be aching now, but when we get to glory, we're going to be sounding. 
you can't run fast now. But when we get to glory, we're going to be running up and down the king's highway. That's the comfort we receive knowing that Jesus is coming back. Don't all, all we want is rest. All we want is rest. Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. Tired of everything going wrong. I'm tired of having to get up and go to this job. I'm, I'm tired of dealing with these folks. Jesus says, but when you when you're broken, I'll, I'm, I'm going to give you comfort. In other words, I'm going to give you rest. Rest. That's what it is. Think about when you're at your most comforting position. Think about that, that chair, that special chair that can't nobody else sit in. Think about that, that spot on the couch that you've been, you've been, you've been wearing out the last 15 years. Think about that, that, that nice deluxe bed you got. When you are able to be comforted, that's when you at rest. And Jesus says he has come that we might have rest. Rest for your soul. It, it, beloved, ultimately, Jesus is saying, when you're able to be broken before me and stop trying to put it all together, stop trying to have it all together, stop trying to figure it out and control X, Y, and Z, he says that I have come that you may have rest. I don't know about you, but I love the rest that Jesus gives. Beloved, where are you today? Are you ready for rest? And Jesus says you need to be broken. Be broken over your own sin. Be broken over the sin that we see around us. But be broken that he may build you back up in the image of his son, Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you take broken people and you do marvelous things with them. So, Father, I ask that you would build up somebody today who is in desperate need. Lord, you have your way throughout the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.